So I'm back here in Sweden uh, once again, like I, I normally am for the annual summer camp that we run, which is uh, it's a beautiful place to, to run it. You can't really, um, well, nobody can really deny how nice it is to be out in these forests. It was a little chilly today, but normally it's pretty good weather here this time of year. So it's a great spot to bring everybody together. We're out here and, uh, you know, 200 people this year, I think, are coming out to uh, practice Nei Gong and, and Nei Dan. <laughs> it's always hard work for me, um, but that's okay. That's all part of it. That's part of the part of the role. Yeah, by the end of this month, because it is a month, I think I'll uh, <laughs> I'll sleep for three or four solid days. Uh, probably this is the the hardest push for me, but uh, great fun. I love it, and I love being here out in this uh, surroundings. Like it doesn't matter where you are. You know, some people like the beach. Uh, some people like you know, whatever, the mountains or, or something. For me, it's forests. Uh, and I think especially with regards to, not that it's a major factor in my training, but if you are going to take environmental chi into account, which a lot of people do, but as I said, just the way I work, it's not such a big thing for me. But if you do take environmental chi into, into account, then for me, a forest, especially an old forest, um, is the place to be. I always think they have, it charges you up more than anything else. So it's a good place to be, you know. And so much peace here as well, out in this part of the world, especially uh, compared to Asia, which if you've ever been to Asia, there's not a quiet place anywhere. There just isn't, you know. There's people shouting and screaming and engines and music. The most remote part of Asia, there's always something going on or someone's trying to sell you a pot noodle <laughs> or something, wherever you are. So uh, as much as I love Asia, I can really see why they developed a love of stillness. <laughs> in their spiritual practices because there is none anywhere in Asia. There's no peace anywhere. They had to have stillness as, a, as an aim within their practice. Whereas here it's already, it's already peaceful, you know. So it's a, it's a great place to be and I'm, I'm happy to be back here for the summer. But that's something I want to talk about already. I, this is a little bit of a difficult chat for me this time, I'll be honest, because um, I'm not a shy person. I'm not an awkward person. It's quite hard to make me embarrassed or something like that, although people try sometimes when I'm teaching and it never really works. But I, what I am a little awkward about is talking about myself a, a little bit or my background or, or sort of personal stories happen to me. I, I find all that a bit, I don't know, cheesy or, or something. I don't like it, which is why I'll talk, as you've seen, for hours and hours on various things, but you'll very rarely uh, find many videos of me talking about sort of personal accounts. And some people don't like that. They moan at me about it. They want to know more about my history or my background. Um, and I get it. I do. I just, I guess that, I guess there was a period when I was growing up in this scene, in the internal art scene, where I started to find it distasteful because there were, started to be you know, when, when social media came around and teachers could talk about themselves a lot more, that's what they did. There was name dropping and tail dropping, and it almost felt like teachers were trying to build a sort of mythology or legend around themselves. And a lot of students seem to like that, a lot of people in the scene, but personally, I found it kind of tasteless. It's just, it's just by nature, you know? And then what I would see is teachers would repeat stories about themselves, normally wildly exaggerated, in my opinion, and then students would try to repeat those stories and then kind of take the teacher's stories on as their own, as if it's kind of like, you know, an interesting history by association or, or something. Um, and that, that also goes for skill sets as well. You know, a teacher will have a skill set and then a student will say they study with that teacher and then it's kind of like they adopt that skill set by association, which is obviously nonsense. It doesn't matter who you know, it's what are you? That's really the sort of key factor behind all of this. Um, so for that reason, I've always had the opinion that someone's training is their own. It's a personal training. And whilst it's true that students should get to know their teacher, and, and I will talk more about myself in person with students. They, once people have a personal relationship with me and they know me a bit better, then I'll talk a little bit more about myself. I'll talk about my teachers, my training history, things I've seen and experienced, things I did wrong, things I did right. They, I just think those kind of conversations are more for that kind of setting, you know, person to person, rather than being used to create some kind of legend online or something, which is what I don't like. So I <laughs> hope that makes sense. But that kind of sums up why I don't tend to talk about my, myself too much in that way. But I will do today because um, that's why I'm a bit awkward, because it's not my forte. 
<laughs> is I want to talk a little bit about a couple of stories or a couple of things that happened to me um, that really sort of brought me to where I am with regards to my approach to martial arts training. And specifically, not, not the technique of it. You know, I, I think the technical study of martial arts is an amazing thing. Um, the arts that I'm involved in, primarily Taiji these days, Bagua, uh, Jingyi, the, the internal arts, yeah, but, but mostly Taiji these days. You know, the, the arts that I'm in, invested in and I'm interested in, I find particularly fascinating, and, and the technical skill of it and the skill that some people can develop from it, I, I think are fascinating and worthy of study, of course. But there's this other side to martial arts, isn't there, which is violence, which can't ever really be denied. Physical violence, which is the inflicting of damage upon another human being. That's really what it is. It doesn't matter if it's done in a sporting setting um, or a violent confrontation or, or something like this. There is a, you know, there's, there's the desire to cause damage to the other person's body and, and obviously not sustain damage yourself is the ideal. Um, although that rarely happens in any <laughs> truly violent conflict, there's always some kind of repercussions there. And, and this, this sort of act of violence, this side of violence is such a, or this subject of violence is such a complicated subject and so tricky that it's impossible to, well, you can't avoid it. It's in martial arts, it's part of it. Even if you study, I don't know, maybe you only do Tai Chi for health, I say only. It's like a major thing, isn't it? But say you do Tai Chi for health, even then, it, your movements, the form is still based upon, to some degree, um, an abstraction of violence. So it's still there, even if you don't focus upon it. And then for other people who, who sort of study martial arts with more of a self-defense, competitive or fighting side to it, obviously violence underpins everything that they're doing. And we might say that the, the study of violence is a metaphor for something else. I believe that's true. Um, the idea of sort of defeating the self and things like this, but still that subject of violence is very, very sticky. And it has to be encountered at, at some stage. So I've always had a love-hate relationship with martial arts, as, as some of you have maybe heard me talk about it before, may know, you know, and, and, but this love-hate relationship with martial arts arises really not from the martial art, but from the subject of violence. And that's I think that anybody who's really gone deep into their arts or deep into, deep into their arts with an idea of cultivation behind it has to at some point tackle this idea of violence and how they relate to it. So I want to, I want to really look at some stories or concepts around violence and, and why I relate to it to the way I do. And the reason I want to talk about it is because of course, anyone will encounter violence when they do martial arts, but also because it's something that I'm asked quite a lot via social media or um, in person. And some people will ask it in a truly questioning fashion, whereas other people obviously questions are, are loaded because really they, they already have an opinion on it and they want to belittle you or something like that. And I think there's confusion sometimes with uh, the way that I teach or what I teach or my views. Um, so yeah, let's try and tackle this a little bit for those who are interested. So the first thing to say about violence is my view upon it, um, or my view with the side of violence that is most relevant to my martial art training, would be the kind of violence that you would encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I was recently in America in a fairly rough part of it, and um, it's easy to see how it wouldn't have been very tricky for that part of town I was in to lead to you being in a violent confrontation. It was slightly sketchy, <laughs> I think is the word for the description of the part of town. And I'm often, to be honest, I often find myself in those kinds of places because I travel a lot and you don't tend to know which parts of town are a good idea to walk into. So, you know, that's the kind of violence I'm concerned with or, or are relevant to what I'm talking about. The kind of violence with regards to sports fighting, getting in a ring or getting in a, an arena to fight somebody else competitively, um, it's not really so relevant to me because it's not really part of my world. I did do some of it when I was younger, uh, mostly in the uh, Japanese arts, um, where I fought in front of a crowd, you know, walking, <laughs> which is another level of awkwardness for me. I was never frightened of the violent confrontation or the sporting event, never frightened of fighting someone else. I weirdly never had that particular fear. I, I wasn't, I was never, I've never been worried about conflict with another human or, or facing them. In fact, quite the opposite. My weakness was I always have an inability to run away. I don't know if that's gone, you know. It's like, it's when you teach martial arts, you always advise people, the best thing you can do is run away. But then, I don't know if I could. 
I, I've never managed it. Not because I can't run <laughs> or anything like that. It's just like physically I can run, but something about who I am just won't allow me to. And it and I did do a fair amount of fighting when I was younger, mostly because I drank too much and I had a big mouth. So yeah, that was basically the underpinning quality was it didn't matter what odds I faced, even if I knew I was going to lose, which often happened. I'm not pretending I'm some, I've never pretended to be some ultimate warrior. I've had the <laughs> shit kicked out of me multiple times and gone home swollen, black and blue, bleeding or, or whatever, or, you know, off to get an x-ray, see what's going on. But that that's happened, but I never had a fear of that either. There's never been a sense of self-preservation within me. So <laughs> really, with regards to my approach to violence, uh, I had to learn to be fairly competent at it when I was younger, or at least try to increase my competence because I had the inability to run away. So I'm very hypocritical when I teach because I always tell people if in a violent confrontation, if you can walk away, but yeah, don't know if I can follow that rule. But anyway, I did some sport fighting when I was younger, nothing major, you know, um, but it wasn't the other person that bothered me, it was the crowd. I hated fighting for the entertainment of others. It just felt like I get why people do it, and I've been to see boxing, I've been to UFC matches myself and, and seen it, but so there's another level of hypocrisy there, isn't there, because I've been in the crowd, but I just never liked it. I don't like it. I didn't like fighting for other people's entertainment. It wasn't the shyness of being in front of people. I stand on a stage all day. I'm just about to stand in front of a stage, on a stage, not in front of a stage, on a stage in front of hundreds of people for days on end, you know? So it's not that. It just... It just felt wrong. Like, I didn't like it. People in the crowd cheering in excitement for you to hurt someone or for someone to hurt you. I didn't want to be that person. Like, I was some kind of dancing monkey in front of people. I don't like that. So it, I only did a little bit of that when I was younger. So most of my, and I decided it wasn't for me. I'm nobody's dancing monkey. So then I you know, my, my experience with violence had been in other settings, obviously sparring in martial arts classes, of course, which is a very controlled environment sometimes. Sometimes things get carried away. You know, there's always that training partner isn't there that ups it a little bit. And the next thing you know, those strikes are coming in faster and harder and it evolves into something very akin to a fight, but still fairly controlled. Um, but then also violence confrontations in the, in the street that, uh, or well, usually say in the street, and it? it wasn't in the street, it was usually around the back of a pub, to be perfectly honest, in the car park or something. So, you know, that's, that's what I've encountered mostly. I encountered a fair bit of it when I was younger, mostly because my family, I think it's fair to say, I don't think my family will hate me for saying this, but <laughs> my family, I think it's fair to say, struggle with addictions, like many families do. Um, and that addiction might come in various formats. For some members of my family, it might be drugs. For some, it might be sugar. For some, it might be food in general. Some might be most commonly alcohol. Um, and actually, my, the current generation of my, my family deal with it very well, I think, uh, and, and learn to manage it. And so you take my father, for example, and I'm sure he won't mind me talking about this. I hope not. Anyway, I think he channels his addiction into his martial arts training. So therefore, his need to whatever sustain that part of himself that's addicted to something is is kind of dealt with by by his incessant training which i think is healthy personally i think he manages it incredibly well um because well, he doesn't have addiction issues not in the traditional sense it, it's sort of thrown into that channeled into into training and the same with me to be perfectly honest i I drink, I have a few drinks, but um, I don't really struggle with addictions at all because same as my father, it's just processed and pushed into my martial arts. And I think a lot of people have to find something to channel that in. And, and I think families have a gene for those kind of things. But when I was younger, alongside training martial arts, I was always also running the risk of disappearing down a path of addiction to alcohol and chemicals, um, which I liked very much, very much when I was younger, too much. Uh, I always took things too far, you know? <laughs> so consequently, being in that situation, all surrounded by, also surrounded by those kinds of people, to be honest, um, and also having a big mouth, which I've always had, then I often got myself in, in trouble. Um, and, you know, as I said, sometimes it would turn out badly for me. I remember getting my head banged off a table one time, which was my fault, I had too big a mouth. I remember getting my ribs kicked into all kinds of terrible state another time in uh, Bath, a city in the UK, um, because of, well, 
<laughs> getting involved with the wrong people and things like this. But then on other times, you know, I inflicted uh, violence and injuries on other people. And it, it's not, I think that anyone that's dealt with violence on that level, if they're mentally sound, is uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I think so. I, don't, I, think I, try, I was trying not to give a sweeping statement, but I think if somebody's mentally sound, you're not comfortable with it. You shouldn't be. And it wasn't the damage that was carried out on me that I had a problem with, because, yeah, that's all right, whatever. What does that sting? Stings your ego, something like that. And then you go and you fix and you mend, and then actually that drove me to train harder in martial arts. So I was like, right, okay, got to get better. Okay, defense has got to get better. Body's got to get tougher. Striking's got to get harder, no problem. But what I struggled with more was when you inflict damage on other people. It was especially ugly for me when I would inflict damage onto someone. And coming from fairly small towns, then it was usually worse when you had to see that person a few days later and, and saw the sort of physical damage that they'd sustained while they were healing. I didn't like that. I, I never took a, a sense of enjoyment, I don't know what the word is, satisfaction from the damage that I caused other people. In fact, I felt terrible, especially as normally the damage had been inflicted whilst I was under the influence of something like alcohol, which means that when I was sober or hung over in some case, which is even worse, then what happens, my conscience and my guilt would come back. So then seeing a person in that state, which you would often do a few days later or a day later or something, would make me feel terrible. And I would struggle terribly with my conscience. I've always struggled struggled with guilt. Jiminy Cricket's a giant motherfucking six foot tall bastard who sits on my shoulder and whips me like constantly if I ever do something wrong. He's not like a little cricket. He's a, he's a, big, he's a big motherfucker. So I, I always struggled with, with my sense of guilt in that level. So I always hated that. And I would hate to hurt another person. Partially as well because I know that unlike myself actually, if I'm physically harmed, it doesn't bother me that much, but I mentally, but I know that for another person to be damaged physically can affect them psychologically on all kinds of levels from, you know, ego damage, which is not such a big deal, but through to full self-esteem collapse, through to fear of going out in public, through to carrying that defeat for the rest of their life. And whilst that's sometimes glorified, I see cage fighters talking about, I dominated that man, I'll forever live in his head. Like, I don't want to live in someone's head. I don't want to dominate someone. I don't I don't want that person to live in pain and fear for the rest of their life. I don't want that person to live in pain and fear for the rest of the week, to be honest. I don't want to have that impact upon people's lives. And that's what I quickly realized with regards to violence, was that I didn't like it for that level, for that reason, sorry. So does that mean that a person should avoid violence? I don't think so. And this is where I have a complicated relationship with it. And this is why it's very hard for me to just answer these social media posts about should things be practical? What do you think about training this? What do you think about studying fight? Like uh, these kind of, you can't answer this in a sentence or two because the emotional, psychological, physical relationship to the topic of violence is a very, very complicated one. And I grew up in a family where violence was very much at the forefront of everything we did. Um, <laughs> not just because of martial arts themselves, but I was. I was always surrounded by karate practitioners, uh, tai chi people as well a bit later, but, but also boxers and, and well, also, all sorts of different martial arts and fighting styles. And these things were always being trained by my family, uh, my dad, my uncle, the friends and family that came over, my mother even when she was younger. And people were always scrapping and trying things out in our garden and in the house and in any class we went to. Um, I was always surrounded by people <laughs> inflicting fairly controlled violence on one another. So violence was something that's always been around me as, as I was growing up. So I don't... So here's where I think the positives of it are. I think that until you're competent at violence, you're more likely to be scared of it. I think that's true. So when I see people out nervously sort of cowering around in the streets and things like this, they make themselves look a bit like a victim. Um, I think that's because they've never encountered it. So there is something to be said from being hit and then coming to terms and realizing the fact that it's not actually that big a deal. Obviously, you hear these horror stories of somebody falls and smashes their head on the floor and dies or something, but that's not the norm. It's not the norm. The norm is <laughs> you have a big, fat, swollen head the next day or something like that and you lose a few brain cells, um, perhaps, and then 
you know, the body fixes itself. That's usually what happens and with regards to unarmed combat or, or something. So I think there's something to be said for that. And, and the more martial arts I did when I was younger, I realized I wasn't fragile. And that lack of fragility passed into my mindset and then into who I am, my personality and the way I live my life as well. So there was huge amounts of benefits to that too. Um, I think increasingly the better I became at violence. And again, I'm still not sitting here selling myself as some ultimate warrior, please. Don't read into this as some kind of, you know, ego stroking. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a polite way to put it or something. It's not. I'm well aware that, as everybody should, there's always a bigger fish. Like, it's not... No, nobody can train to the point of being the ultimate killer unless you get to the point of developing mind bullets or something that you know you're there's always going to be someone who's, who's going to be more of a threat to you and as soon as there's more than one person two person three people it becomes more complicated again plus weaponry so no one's ever completely invulnerable uh, so so please I'm not trying to say that but I'm definitely more competent than if I hadn't trained you know that's the point of training right and despite what what people might think because of what I present online. A lot of my training has been very practical, very functional, and also very high impact as well. The classes I teach in martial arts are often not what people think. They think that it's going to be, uh, often because of what I show, and, and I'm mostly known as a Qigong guy or whatever, that it's going to be sort of soft and flowing, or we're always training Fajin or something like this, but it's not true, actually. My, it's quite hard training with me because certainly if someone's training martial arts, they're quite impact is a thing and, and striking and kicking is a part of all martial arts. All martial artists should be able to strike or kick. That's just a, a belief to me. It doesn't matter if your style doesn't include it, you should still be able to is, is how I see it. So there's all that side of training in martial arts, but as I became more competent, the other thing that happened was I became more confident so that therefore when I was in situations where I felt at risk, which could be physically, but it could also be verbally, could also be because of a hierarchical issue where this person has more power than I do. There was a subconscious confidence that arises from the study of violence that meant it didn't really bother me. So I, you do get to a stage where you're very comfortable in any social situation. The only thing you're uncomfortable with is talking about yourself on camera and that never changes. But you do become comfortable in social situations or in potentially complicated social situations or difficult ones. And if someone doesn't have that confidence, then it causes them often to react in a reactive um, fashion. So you're more likely to do something stupid or argumentative or, or aggressive. It's definitely the case that the more competent and confident a person is, the easier it is for them to keep their cool um, when in a difficult situation. I think martial arts and the study of violence or competency at, at some degree of violence can help with that greatly. So those are the positives of it as far as I can see. Now, the negatives of the study of violence, or the negatives of violence in general is, well, firstly, someone's going to get hurt. That's never good, is it? And I think that the second thing is that the study of violence only serves you to a certain point. So I see what happens is, whatever you might call this baseline, someone builds up their confidence through the study of fighting through martial arts or sport fighting or whatever it is. Then they become, what, normal? I don't know, <laughs> whatever that means. They've hit a platform through which, really, I believe that once you are neutral to the study of violence. It's like, ah, oh, it is just what it is. I'm not frightened of it anymore. I feel fairly confident in myself. I'm competent with regards to how I use my body. I've realized I'm not vulnerable. Reactivity goes down a bit. That's enough, in my opinion. You can still carry on training martial techniques, but actually the focus of your training should go somewhere else, into personal development, because now you have a perfect platform to disappear off into, well, in my opinion, but everyone's different, the study of of the true nature of human existence, spirit, soul, the being, what is human life? Like that to me is the platform you study from. But some people will then will take it further and keep studying violence. And once you go past that baseline, it becomes an obsession and a paranoia. Uh, and that's what happens. People who study violence too far take it beyond competitiveness and beyond sort of confidence building into paranoia and then they disappear down a route that I think is not healthy and then it makes them increasingly aggressive um, obviously because if your mental energy is put into the study of violence then it's going to make you more violent and it might not make you more violent in your actions because maybe you're controlled you control yourself but it will make you violent with regards to how you think and how you feel you will feel competitive when you see something online that you don't like or you see somebody doing something that 
maybe looks better than you and or maybe you see someone online who's got more followers than you or something and, and that that what happens is it just stimulates all those things within yourself that that sort of fight and that's not healthy for anyone and then that can pass over into your life and your marriage and your work it, it's no good so we have to learn how to as far as i'm concerned study the good in martial arts or extract the benefit from the study of violence whilst learning to manage it in the right way so as far as i can see what it is is we always study martial technique well, this is how I do it within my school, and I'm not saying this is the only way, but this is how we do it, is we study martial technique with an irrelevance to martial technique, meaning that we do it, we train kicks, punches, strikes, lock, throws, chokes, slamming into each other, whatever it is, we study all those things in order to develop strength, competency, and efficiency, but at the same time, our mindset is not on that. Our mindset is always on something else, on the goal of self-development, of, of spiritual growth, so that it's like that other stuff is done in the background and your awareness, your intent doesn't get caught up in it. And that's very, very important to me. And I think that if I can teach someone that way, from what I've seen, they can become more competent whilst also not being caught up in that violent mindset. And they get caught up in something else and onto self-development, self-better, looking for some kind of revelation, I suppose, that can hopefully arise from these arts. But whether it does or not, you know, these arts are difficult, but that's, <laughs> that's the aim. But it means that the martial arts, the violence can almost, the violent, the study of the violent technique can almost be separated from the violent mindset. That's far better to me. That's more likely to end up with an individual who's capable of being competent and capable of looking after those people around them, but at the same time has the mindset that they're totally chill and they're cool and they're comfortable and they're not going to inflict that violence on anyone. And it, it's not even a fascination for them. And I want them, I want the people I teach to be uncomfortable with violence to a certain degree. Not uncomfortable with being able to do it if they need to, but uncomfortable with the idea of hurting someone so that they absolutely will only do it if they have to. People I teach, they're not interested in entering into, well, a couple, actually, that's not true. Some of them are because I got sports fighters that, that train with me, but they're, they're not the norm. They're not the majority of people. Majority of people I teach aren't interested in sport fighting per se, they wouldn't really want to do it, but they do want to be able to protect those people around. They want to be able to protect their loved ones. They want to feel confident within themselves. And I think especially in the case of young males and young men, a young man who can't, who doesn't feel confident in his ability to take out an attack or at least make a good show of himself and go down fighting in the, in the name of the protection of loved ones, will feel bad, bad about themselves. And I think that that will potentially be quite detrimental to their character development as well and the choices they make. So this is my view on, on martial arts training and it's why I have a, a great distaste sometimes when conversations online or in person or within, within the school or whatever disappear down this glorifying violence route. I, I don't like it. I don't like it when you have teachers that glorify violence through the stories they tell or, or something. It's like, it's not, a, it's not a glorious thing. It's just not. You know, like I, there's been times when I've had to hurt people. I've had to inflict damage upon people. There has been in the name of protection of myself or sometimes the protection of others. But each time I felt terrible and I should do. And I always want to feel terrible. I never want to feel good about it. I never want to celebrate my victories over other people any more than I would celebrate my losses. There is no winning. I still hurt somebody. I still damaged a soul or a being who's upon this earth who, in my personal spiritual belief system, which is maybe a little separate from martial arts, that is here for some kind of higher purpose. I think every lowest, <laughs> lowest entity on earth is there in, in search of some kind of higher purpose. And I don't want to be responsible for inflicting damage upon that person. So I, I would never celebrate such things. And I never did. So a couple of stories, which I'm not glorifying. You can already tell. Those of you who know me have heard me speak about things. You can probably already tell I'm not. <laughs> I'm not 100% comfortable <laughs> with this because I don't want to turn into the people that I don't like, which is the people that tell stories and create mythology around themselves and build. It's not. It's not what I'm interested in doing. I'm interested in the autonomy of the people I'm teaching and, and the teaching. The people I'm speaking to are teaching. The training is about them, not me. I have my training. Their training is about them. 
So my personal story shouldn't matter too much. But one time when I was well drinking a lot, I was a mess, and I <laughs> I was staying um, I was staying with my family at the time. So we used to have a walk between where I was going out and home, which was about three miles and something like that, two and a half three miles. I used to hate that walk in the dark through country lanes. So I came out of the town and. I didn't want to go home because I knew my parents were still up. It was probably about midnight or something like that. And I, so I decided to walk home to sober up. And you could walk home and you could take a really long route that went past a leisure center, down a football pitch past a leisure center, two football pitches by a leisure center to get to a house. So I thought by the time I've walked past the leisure centers and that, I'll go home because I don't want to go into my parents blackout drunk like I often did. So I was walking down there and I was walking past a football pitch, sobering up. Breathing nice and deep, trying to get myself in a sensible state. And what I saw in a hedge in front of me was um, some people sort of like wrestling in a, in a bush. And I always remember in front of me was a guy walking in front of me past these people wrestling in the bush. And he looked down at the people wrestling and then carried on. He looked uncomfortable, sort of scuttled away. So I thought it was some kids fighting who'd made an older person nervous. So I carried on walking up. And as I got to the bush, I realized that actually it was a... What I found out afterwards, speaking to her, was a 14-year-old girl who was being held down by one guy and the other guy was taking off her clothes, was starting to undress her. Um, these guys were a bit older, I don't know, I'd guess in their sort of late teens, early 20s, um, something like that from the way they looked. And all three were drunk, basically. So, well, I got involved um, and long story short, anyway, speaking to the girl afterwards and then uh, made sure she was safe. Actually, what she did was she came back with me to her, um, back to my, my family house and I, I got my mother to, to deal with her because I didn't think it was appropriate for a drunk guy to be dealing with a 14-year-old girl. So my mother actually came and looked after this girl and made sure she was okay and we got her back to her family home. So I had to get involved I didn't want to be that guy that walked past, looked in the bush and then wandered off. I hope that person felt terrible for a little while afterwards and, you know, because I don't, I think that somebody, I think that a, certainly an adult man should get involved in that situation. Of course, that 14 year old girl was just about to be raped. Um, so yeah, wasn't really a, it's not a nice memory of, of mine. And, but one of the, one of the outcomes of it was the, was the next day I felt so physically sick with myself, not because of what, not because, you know, for any other reason that I didn't like what I had to do to one of the males, because there's two males attacking somebody, and if I'm going to get involved, then I have to make sure I have to hurt one of them bad enough that the other one thinks twice about being a problem. So I, I did hurt one of them especially pretty badly, and, and the hardest thing for me about that I can feel it now, actually, somatically in my body. It's like I've come to terms with it, what happened, but it's still there. There's like a nausea that arises within me. I feel sick. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing good about it, but I had to deal, I had to sit there and come to terms with the guilt about what I did to that person. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't still do the same again. In fact, I like to think I'm better at martial arts. I wouldn't have had to inflict that much pain because the better you are at martial arts, the less damage you have to cause someone, right? The worse you are at martial arts, the more, or, or at fighting in general, the more harm you have to cause someone. So I, I wasn't so good back then. It was a long time ago. So I you know, had to do things to that person or do something to that person that I didn't really like. And, and I still deal with the guilt of that. Now, when I've told that to people, they've been confused and they're like, you did the right Thing, you protected that go of course I'm happy I did the right thing and I would do the same again but I'm still not comfortable with what I did to that person the nausea still sits in my body I'm, I'm shaking a little bit because I'm not comfortable with it and it's not anything else it's not because I'm frightened of violence it's not it's guilt it's guilt so that situation I don't want to go into it any more particularly, did two things. One, on the positive, it justified why I did martial arts. All those years training. <laughs> All those years training. Training for what? Wasn't training for medals, wasn't training for tournaments. Was I training for self-development? Perhaps. Don't know if I had that much self-awareness at the time. But the fact that I prevented that 14-year-old girl from having a really terrible thing happen to her um, made up for all of the years of training. I'd happily 
spend countless thousands of hours practicing for just that one event. And that one event justified my martial arts training more than any nonsensical com competitive argument I had with any other martial artist in a class, any sparring match that I won or lost after that is irrelevant compared to that, that event. And to me, that I was happy that I was competent at violence. But the second thing that happened, the negative, was it was the first time I really developed a great distaste for violence. This is where my love-hate relationship with fighting came from, from that time. A love of being able to do what I felt was right, but a, a guilt and a sickening feeling that has stayed with me, and I want it to stay with me as well. I want it to stay in my body because I don't want to lose that discomfort. And I think that that prevents me from uh, glorifying that situation. So I had to cut the camera there um, and just sort of <laughs> walk around and have a breather because, um, as I say, I don't like the memory that's still stored in my body. And I'm sure some of you who are watching this might think, oh, I should get over it, or I thought you were a spiritual practitioner, you should let go of that, should absorb it, or don't be so pathetic or something, but maybe you're right. But then part of me is also wants to keep that memory. I want that memory within my body. I want the discomfort of violence. As someone who is involved in the teaching of violence, which I am, and helping people to turn into more efficient fighters on one level. It's obviously not the key aim of what I'm doing. I'm a cultivation teacher more than anything else, but I'm still aware that I'm teaching violence. Is I want that discomfort to stay within me so that nobody I ever teach starts to glorify this subject and starts writing about the damaging of other people or, the, or inflicting pain on others as if it's a good thing. Because I see that spoken about so much in our society like it's a positive thing, even about you know, individual competitions over somebody, or even in a sporting event, I watched how crushed the loser is in a sporting event, fighting in front of 10,000 people or whatever they're fighting. That's, that's still, to me, a negative. I wouldn't like that. Like, if I was that person that won, I, I would even feel terrible about that. I feel good about winning, sure, <laughs> as a side to it. And even though both people have agreed to that match, I would still have to go and speak to my opponent afterwards and apologize for the the harm I'd caused them, you know? And it, that people might not understand that if they're doing sort of amateur fighting on a small scale, but, you know, just some people fighting on a world stage is a big deal. It can be very crushing, all that, and that's not good for anybody. So you get glorification of that, but then on another level, I see people glorifying the violence of war. You know, like it's okay to carry out military action on anybody, ever. It doesn't matter who. I, I'm not pro it at all, and, and people are too quick to jump to the glorification or justification of military action upon a group of people. I'm sure military experts everywhere would tell me sometimes it's necessary, but globally or whatever, to end some kind of conflict. And fair enough, maybe it is, but it should be a last, 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 last resort that, that I think the people that are making those decisions should be horribly uncomfortable with. I think a decent society is uncomfortable with the idea of inflicting any violence upon another person. The level of guilt I felt at the, the damage I caused an individual in a, an unarmed confrontation should be nothing compared to the guilt that I'm going to feel for the, the killing or murdering or mauling of innocents or other fighters. Like, it's just ugly. The whole thing is ugly. So that was the first event. I don't even know if I'll ever post this anyway, you know. This is how uncomfortable I am with talking about myself or my own <laughs> my own things. So maybe this will end up either a personal rant or a talk that just goes to seniors or something. I'm not sure, but we'll see. Who knows? So then the second event, Rudy was once again drunk. Uh, I think it was my birthday. Yeah, it was. It was my birthday. I was drunk on one of my birthdays. And I think I got separated from the group. And it was one of those times, I'm one of those drinkers, well, not these days, actually, definitely not, like, I'm a lot more controlled, my life's actually uh, fairly decent these days, but when I was younger, I would, I was one of those guys who would drink and black out and lose time, you know, it, and I think not everybody gets that, doesn't it? If you're one of those people who drinks, blacks out and loses time, it can be very confusing, I always think maybe it's the reason 
the lots of rednecks think they've been kidnapped by aliens or <laughs> something like this because you can lose whole sections of time unless hang on unless i've been kidnapped by aliens many times so check for a lump and a microchip shouldn't i but yeah like i used to black out and so i'd sort of wake up at home often the next day or something i'd often do <laughs> i'd often do that especially because i've always been a person who likes extremes including extreme self-abuse so there was one birthday I blacked out, which if you're going to black out, it's going to be drinking on your birthday, innit? Because everyone's giving you alcohol. And I, I woke up at home, and I remember waking up at home, and I woke up on the bed. I was still clothed, like you often are when you're drunk, and I was covered in blood, basically. It was all down my front, um, on my trousers. I had a white top on, I always remember, and it was just covered in it. And I, <laughs> I woke up, and I, I sort of checked myself for, for cuts, and there was nothing. It was like, it was all right, like, no, no big deal. So, you know, got changed, got showered, confused, no idea what went on. I'm sure the night had started merrily. I remember some girls in a pub and some friends and, yeah, I don't know, don't know what happened after that. So I woke up, got washed, and then I, I was really hung over. So what we always used to do when we were drinking is we go back into, into the pub, and we used to have a pub that opened at 10 a.m. called The Mermaid mermaid i think it shut down now um it was a shit pub really fucking bad but it was a mer <laughs> it was terrible no atmosphere at all but you could get a drink at 10 a.m so i walked into the i walked into the bar and i ordered a drink and then and it was like there was a lot of people it was always the same people in there all day every day and everybody went quiet and just stared at me like it was like those cowboy films where you walk into a bar and the piano stops and everyone looks at you and the, the ball stops rolling on the pool table or whatever, whatever. it was one of those kind of things and there, long story short, again, basically the, there was a couple of people in there, the barman and, and one of the people who was drinking over in the corner was very disgusted at me. And I remember feeling really sick from drinking as well. And they were really disgusted because they were like, oh, what you did to that guy last night was out of order. I'm like, what guy? What do you mean? Like, and they were like, oh, no, that was bad, man. You went too far. And I, I had no recollection of what had gone on. But it turns out I'd been in that bar later that uh, sort of the night before. I had to tell them, I don't know what's going on. So they said, well, you should go up to this other pub. I uh, can't remember uh, what it was called. There's another pub up around the corner. Oh, it doesn't matter anyway. Small sort of nothing pub, like a local's pub. So I, I walked up there, and outside the front of the pub, there was a car parked, and uh, the car was dented um, on the, the bonnet, and one of the windows on the side was uh, smashed, like it was broken. And there was broken bottles on the, like, bottle glass on the floor hadn't been cleaned up yet. And there was a lot of blood on the ground. Like, it was a lot. It looked like someone had, I don't know, more than a broken nose. And it was quite a bit of blood anyway. And it was just a mess, like a real bad mess. And I, as I got there, I got that same uncomfortable feeling again, like I've done something really, <laughs> done something really bad here. This is not good. And, uh, yeah, that's it. But, I just never, I didn't remember, I never came back. To this day, I don't know who that person was. I got no idea, so I presume it was a visitor to the town, visitor to the town, no one, I don't know why I fought, I don't know what it was over, I don't know what the outcome was, I don't know how hard I hit that person or how much I hurt them, I've got no clue. It was a total mystery to me and still is. And you know, like when you black out drunk, I say that like everyone does this, <laughs> maybe some of you had this, like you get bits come back, don't you? Normally what you get is the embarrassing bits. Oh, fuck, I said that to that person. Oh, fuck, I confessed what I thought about this person or something while I was drunk. All those embarrassing things comes back to give you that cringe factor. But nothing ever came back. No memory, and I still have no recollection. And maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe my brain protected me from something that I shouldn't really remember. But I hope to God I didn't, that person wasn't damaged too much, whatever happened there. But the same. All I was left with is a, a sickening feeling of, of guilt, like real bad, like, like haunts me guilt, like haunts me badly. And this event, the second story I told you, is not, it's not a positive event. It's not in the defense of a 14-year-old getting a girl getting assaulted. Well, I don't think so. I don't know what happened. I would assume it was me with a big mouth, too much alcohol, big ego, probably another guy with a big ego, because those are the guys I used to enjoy arguing with and then and then just something ugly happens something horrible that level of or that type of violence 
and that event is really what that was a final nail in the coffin, you know. I'd been beaten up. I've been beaten up. I've been um, kicked around and smacked. And uh, it doesn't bother me. That's all right. Who cares? You, you get better. But that inflicting violence onto another person, especially to that level, is not something that I want upon my soul and not something I want to inflict upon another soul. That final event there was, the, <laughs> A, the last time, uh, I think, I've, well, no, it's not true, I've drunk since then, but it, it was kind of the beginning of the end of my love affair with um, large amounts of intoxicants, certainly. But it was also the final nail in the coffin with regards to violence for me. Any young, egotistical, you know, fucking machismo, testosterone-fueled glorification of violence was gone that night or that morning, you know, that that morning after my birthday was just eradicated. And what was left was a, a disgust of what I was capable of doing and what, yeah, I think that's fair to say, what I was capable of doing and, and how much you could damage somebody with, well, just with such stupid things like ego and, and stuff like that. Gradually after that day, I became more and more focused on my martial arts in the other side of martial arts. Before that, up to then, I was really interested in violence. It was like I wanted to be more efficient, but that's where it started to turn around for me and sort of go down a, a route where I'm initially more interested in, in health, um, especially because my body wasn't particularly healthy because of what I'd done to it. So I had to sort of clear it out. I never had a sort of bad health, like bad back, weak knees that other people might have if they come older into the arts. I, mine was more my body was toxic from my toxic mindset really. The rage and self-loathing I felt were poisoning my body, to be honest, but not to put too fine a point on it, plus the sort of toxication from alcohol and drugs, really. That, that's what I needed to clear out. So my health study of, of martial arts really went down that route to deal with that, my mindset and, and what I'd done to myself that way. And the uh, sort of development of a strong moral and ethical code came out of that as well. That's where it started to change. That's when that became very important to me for myself, so I had a thing that would prevent me acting in that way in the future. Um, and then from there it evolved into what I'm interested in now, into self-cultivation and self-development, and, and then into literal spiritual development, which to me means something that can help you train to de develop direct unification with spirit. And those ideas always underpin everything I'm doing. Even these days when I teach martial arts, though they are fairly functional and practical pad work and grappling and, and throwing and, and all those things which I think are a part of martial arts the mindset is not of violence the mindset is like we do those training we do that training but it is irrelevant to what we're interested in it's a background thing that compartmentalization of fighting away from spiritual development might be strange but to me it makes most sense and this is how I work it and and this is really to chat to people a little bit and answer some questions about <sighs> I've got to get over this this cut and see this is it this is why you don't get stories about myself out of me <laughs> I don't like it. it feels cheap or wrong somehow I guess but this is to answer that question of a why I'm always a bit of a funny one when it comes to violence and people are questioning me you won't see me joining in with the, the sort of enjoyment that comes from fighting when I'm writing about it um, or, or when I'm talking with people, I just won't go down that route and why I'm not interested in glorifying it or, or even pushing that side of it. I have a distaste for it. It's also why people are confused sometimes because there's an assumption, because I write that when I teach martial arts, they are about cultivation, which is true, they are, people mistakenly think that means we don't do any practical training. It's not true. Whereas they assume if you do do practical training that you're interested in fighting. But it's not true. They don't, they're not... You know, you don't have to have both. I will do practical functional training so that people can box and kick and wrestle and grapple and take damage, take impact, or take impact without being damaged, more to the point. That's the aim, isn't it? We will do that kind of training in a very fun atmosphere. People are laughing and sweating and stuff like that, but, but the mindset is not on that. It's still about self-cultivation. I wouldn't want to train in a place where the fighting was purely about violence, or I wouldn't want to train in a place either where the self-cultivation had become so much the four that the martial arts were no longer functional. To me, it's the 
the balance between those two things you have to get right. And I think that that was always, well, certainly once the martial arts started to pass through somewhere like, you know, Shaolin Temple or something, which obviously had a study of combat as well as a study of, well, Buddhism, you know, Chan is a funny form of Buddhism, but a study in Buddhism. So that, I think that's how martial arts have always been. And that's what I try to emulate, I suppose, as best I can within the way I teach. It doesn't necessarily match the way that people taught me. I would say that I had teachers that were very fighting or competitive or sports orientated um, mindset and training. And then I had other teachers that were very cultivation-based, very spiritual-based, health-based that didn't do any combative training at all. So I, I guess my teachers, if I clump them together, with the exception of one or two, actually. Yeah, except for my father as well, I suppose, when I was younger, but was more like I am, more how I teach, I guess. But I had a lot of teachers who in one of the other camp, but that's not reflected generally in the way I teach. I like to take the practicality of group A and the mindset of group B and put them together, and, and that's really where I sit. And I think that's why I can be a bit confusing, or, or my school can be a little bit difficult to pigeonhole sometimes with regards to is it a fighting school, is it not a fighting school? It's both and it's neither. <laughs> That's really what it is. So I'll leave it there. Um, like I say, that's a more personal account than I normally do, and also maybe more of an uncomfortable thing for me to talk about than normal, but uh, I've been asked to do it many times, and also sometimes seniors around me have suggested that I share my views on this level, because this is more how I talk to people that are close to me or, or seniors about such things rather than the general public or, or whatever. So I don't know, <laughs> maybe it was a good idea, maybe it was a bad idea, but there's my thoughts. Thanks very much. <laughs> in the meantime, I shall get ready to teach Negong and Nedan for a few weeks now, which is definitely more my where I derive my pleasure with regards to teaching, so, yeah. <laughs>